Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter, beginning in the sixth verse. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And may God bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this day. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and called us to engage in the study of the scriptures. We pray that you would now sweeten this scripture in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you, and ourselves, and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Uh, Is this the 17th? Is it it too late to say Happy New Year? I remember when Adele and I were living in Washington, D.C. in the early 80s, we listened to this radio station by these two guys called Trumbull and Core. And um, I just remember one time one of them saying, uh, how long into the new year do you go when you first meet somebody again after the turn of the year? Is it appropriate to say Happy New Year? You know, what if you don't encounter somebody till July 1? Um, <laughs> But at any rate, Happy New Year uh, to you. You know, in Matthew 26, Jesus was asked a question. And the question was, uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied by saying, love God. But then Jesus went on to say, "I've I've got to add a second one to it, love neighbor." And I've often wondered why when Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, 
did he respond by giving two commandments? Why wasn't he content just to ask, just to answer the question that it was, he was asked? I remember when I was going for my doctoral dissertation defense, my advisor gave me some advice that has always stuck with me. He gave me a couple of points to keep in mind as I went before the committee. But one thing he said was, one way to stay out of trouble is don't answer any questions that you are not asked. (laughs) And another thing that he said was, answer only the question that you are asked. And a third thing he said, it's amazing how I remember this. This was from like 1983. The other thing he said was, if there's a period of silence, don't fill it. (laughs) He said, trust me, if you just keep those three rules, you'll fare fairly well uh, in your defense. So I've often just wondered, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, why didn't he just say, love God? Why did he go on to quote from Leviticus chapter 19 of all places and say, love neighbor? Was it just some random thought that came into his mind that he had to add a quotation? Having quoted Deuteronomy, did he have to add a quotation from Leviticus 19? Or is there something really fundamentally deeper going on Not only in Jesus' thinking, but in his Jewish world in which he lived, that necessitated him saying, I've got to add another one, love neighbor. Well, I'm not going to presume that I can somehow transport back and get into the mind of Jesus and figure out why in great detail he added that second one, but I do think that we can move toward at least a partial understanding of that. I have a wonderful colleague. I, I teach here in Orlando, and our mother campus is in, or, is in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, Miles Van Pelt is a wonderful colleague of mine. Uh, we are really, we, we're the kind of colleagues that can complete each other's sentences. Uh, I've really learned a lot from him and uh, enjoy the time that we have together. And we often share via email ideas. And a while back, he sent me a couple of articles by another uh, Old Testament scholar named Jason Derushi on the Ten Commandments. And in that article, actually that pair of articles, I, I began to get an insight, I think, into why Jesus said, I've got to add another commandment. You've asked me for one, but I've got to give you two. Now, keep in mind that Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book. Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy more than any other book. And Deuteronomy contains what we call the Ten Commandments, what the Hebrew Bible calls the Ten Words. And uh, the Ten Words are really a summary of the whole covenant. If you don't have time to read a whole big book on what covenant theology is, just read the Ten Words. Because Deuteronomy 4.13 says that God declared to you his covenant, the ten words. The ten words are a summary of the covenant. So maybe this summary of the covenant found in the ten words contain at least part of the answer as to why Jesus said, I can't stop at one, I've got to add a second one. So we're going to do a a short series, and uh, like 
In the fall, we did a series on the Songs of Ascent, and I had that one planned out from the beginning. I knew there were going to be eight. I'm not sure how many are in this series, but it's more than one, so it's a series. But this morning, we're just going to learn how to count to ten, which may sound a little bit strange to you, but in a moment, I think you'll see not so. How do we count the ten words? Now, let me just put this in a little context. Here's what John Calvin said. It is not an unprofitable study. He never had one of our English teachers to say, don't use so many negatives. Uh, we, our English teachers would have said, just say, it's a profitable study, instead of not an unprofitable study. It's a profitable study to consider the division of the commandments. Calvin said it's a good thing to reflect on this question, how do we count the commandments? And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to see how we number them. What's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. But Calvin goes on to say, provided we remember that it is one of those matters in which every man should have full freedom of judgment and on account of which difference of opinion should not lead to contention. In other words, as Calvin's about to do this, he realizes that he's going to say things that aren't in keeping with what his audience might expect. And he says, we are indeed under the necessity of making this observation, lest the division which we are to adopt, that is, he, Calvin, should excite or surprise uh, the reader as novel or of recent invention. Uh, So Calvin was going to give a counting of the commandments that was different than what was generally assumed to be the case. And, of course, you know why I'm reading Calvin, because I'm going to do the same thing. (laughs) Only I'm not going to go with Calvin on this one. In 1607, there was another confession of faith, a confession of the Synod of Castle. And it says, but with respect to the division of the Ten Commandments, because it is not expressly fixed by the word of God. In other words, Deuteronomy tells us there are ten words, but it doesn't tell us how to count them. And so this confession says, because it's not expressly fixed by the word of God, we do not wish to quarrel over this with other churches. Inasmuch as that division which was customary in the printed catechism of our churches, beginning from the period of Count Philip, is agreeable to scripture in antiquity, we consider it, here we go again, not unreasonable. Uh, not unreasonable that the same be uniformly and everywhere retained and made use of in our churches. We are also expecting that this division will give no one a reason to bring schism or rupture to our churches. So, in other words, I hope you'll invite me back to preach after I'm done this morning. (laughs) Now, there are actually different ways of counting the Ten Commandments. If you've only grown up in one tradition, you don't realize that. You won't, if you've basically grown up in a Protestant church, you just think, well, doesn't everybody count the Ten Commandments the same way? Keeping in mind that in the Hebrew text, there is no one, two, three. It's just not there. Uh, there's Jewish tradition. Well, as a matter of fact, there are Jewish traditions. Uh, even in ancient Jewish tradition, there was not a complete uniformity on how to count the commandments. And uh, so on the one hand, we have Jewish tradition. On the other hand, we have Roman Catholic Lutheran tradition. Roman Catholics, anybody a former Roman Catholic here? 
anybody of Lutheran? Roman Catholics and Lutherans count the commandments the same way, which is different than the way Jews count the commandments. And then in the third place, there are reform types like us, along with the Anglicans, along with the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Coptic Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Syrian Orthodox, those three, they all have the same counting. So you have three basic different ways to count. Uh, and then there's going to be a fourth. Uh, what I'm going to show you, I hope, from the Ten Commandments themselves, that kind of a hybrid of the Jewish tradition and the Catholic Lutheran tradition is obviously the way to do it. I think you'll see that it's obvious uh, as we look at the text. Now, just to refresh us in terms of our own Reformed tradition, we see verse 6 as the prologue. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's a prologue. It's not, a, it's not one of the words. And then we have our duty to God. No other gods, no images, no misusing the name of God, and keep the Sabbath. Those are our first four in a group, duty to God. Then we have six more, our duty to neighbor, honor your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting. That's what we're used to, and even as you look at the way your Ten Commandments are printed, there's going to be an indenting system that's going to block that out as our reading of the Ten Commandments. Um, Close, but no cigar, in my estimation. Now, let's take a look. Uh, I just want to say three things as we're learning how to count. And what we're going to do in the following sermons is kind of a play on that. This morning, we're learning how to count the ten words. And in the future sermon or two or three, we're going to learn how to make the Ten Commandments count. What do we do with this counting? What difference does it make? So here's the first thing I want to say. There are, as a matter of fact, two groups of commandments. This is very clear when you read the text. The commandments fall into two clear groups. Now, one of the things that you've heard me say in a bunch of different ways over the years of my preaching here is that Hebrew mothers taught their kids to use repetition. Uh, Our teachers say, don't repeat. Hebrew mothers told their kids, use repetition. And we're going to see a repetition that clearly ties some of these commandments together into one big group. Verses 6 to 16 belong together as a group. They are explicitly about, quote, the Lord your God. Uh, Look at verse 6. Verse 6 starts by saying, I am the Lord your God. Now, if you go down to verse 9, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God. Then, if you let your eye drop down to verse 11, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Then we go to verse 12, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
as the Lord your God commanded you. And then dropping down to verse 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. And so we see this repetition. The Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God. And that is like a golden thread that ties verses 6 through 16 together as one unit. Now there's something else that ties these verses together as a unit. In these verses, you get a reason given for keeping the commandment. And the reason is not like we've done with our kids from time to time, because I told you so. There's a reason that is given. Go back to verse 9. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for. We have a commandment and then we have a reason for. Now go to verse 11. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For, we get the commandment, and it's followed by a reason. Go to verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you, To observe the Sabbath. And then in verse 16, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long. In other words, 6 through 16 in the Hebrew text, and this doesn't like take a PhD in Hebrew. In fact, you don't even need to know Hebrew. You can just look at the English translation. Once you understand how Hebrew mothers taught their kids to write, you realize that these verses hang together as a group by these two principles of the repetition of the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, and the structure of giving a command followed by a reason. And so it's very clear to see that verses 6 and 16 all belong together. Well, the reverse of that, or the flip side of that coin, is also true. Verses 17 through 21 all belong together as our second unit. Why? Well, for the two opposite reasons. One, they never mention the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? From verse 17 on, through the rest of the commandments, there's not one more reference to the Lord your God. That's exclusive to the front half. And the absence of the reference to the Lord your God says we, verses 17 through the end, hang together as a unit. Birds of a feather flock together. And the other thing that is true about these verses is that you won't find a single reason for keeping any of those commandments. It's just do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. Do not desire. We are just given commandments with no reasons at all. I told you it was obvious. 
that when you look at the text, there are two groups. There's a front group, and that front group is tied together by the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God. And it's also tied together by command and reason, command and reason, command and reason. And the latter group is separated out because it never refers to the Lord your God anymore. And it doesn't give any rationale for why you should keep any of the commandments. So my first point, there are two groups of commandments. Now, what's my second point? The first group contains four words or four commandments. Now, to show you this, it's going to be easier to work backward. We're going to move from the clear to the less clear, which hopefully will stay clear. Uh, The first commandment is in verse 16, honor your parents. We see um, when we go back to verse 16, honor your father and your mother. Now here's our phrase, as the Lord your God commanded. See, there's our reference to the Lord your God. And then here's our reason, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you. Nice commandment. The command, the reference to the Lord your God, and the rationale for keeping the commandment. Backing up one, we have keep the Sabbath. Let's go back to verse uh, 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. There's our command. As the Lord your God, there's our reference to the Lord your God. And then when we move down in the text, uh, end of verse 15, therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So like honoring parents, we have the exact same structure here. Command, keep the Sabbath. Reference, to the Lord your God, rationale, because you've been delivered by the Lord your God from slavery in Egypt. Okay, let's back up one more to verse 11. Don't misuse God's name. Let's go back to verse 11. And there we see you shall not misuse the name. There's our command. Of the Lord your God, there's our reference to the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless, there's our reason. So, honor your parents, keep the Sabbath, don't misuse the name of God. They all have the exact same structure, command, reference to the Lord your God, reason. Now, here's where things get a little fun, because we have, in our tradition, three things left. We've got the prologue. How does that fit in? We've got what we think of as the first commandment, no other gods. And we've got what we think of as the second commandment, no images. But what I want to say is, that's all the first word. The prologue and no other gods and no other images, that's word number one. Now, it's, it's especially helpful to come at this from a, a, a Hebrew perspective 
Because remember, we're so used to thinking of these as the Ten Commandments, right? And, and as we've said earlier, there's legitimacy there because the New Testament uses a word for commandment when talking about these. But the book of Deuteronomy doesn't call them the Ten Commandments. The book of Deuteronomy calls them the Ten Words. So if you're thinking of them in a narrow sense as commandments and you come to that verse 6, I am the Lord your God, you say, well, that's an indicative. That's not an imperative. That's not a commandment. You're right. It's not a commandment, but it is a word. It is a saying. It all goes together. And so verses 6 through 10 are simply this. Recognize the Lord as one. Recognize the Lord as one. And we're going to be taking verse 6 as part of the first word, and that is following Jewish tradition, to see that as part of the first word. And remember when we preached on the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, the Shema is actually a summary of the Ten Commandments. And how do you summarize at least part of the Ten Commandments? You summarize part of the Ten Commandments by saying the Lord is one. And then, of course, the Shema goes on to say that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. So, notice one key thing. In verses 6 through 10, what we think of as the prologue and commandment 1 and commandment 2, there's only one reason in all those verses. There's only one reason given. Look at verse 9. Uh, You shall not bow down to them or worship them for. Here's our first reason. Now, we've already seen from what we're going to call the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and the third commandment, keep the Sabbath, and the second commandment, don't misuse God's name. We've already come to see that up in this front end we have reference to the divine name, Uh, We have the commandment, we have reference to the divine name, and we have a reason. In 6 through 10, there's only one reason. And since there's only one reason, what's it logical to conclude? We only have what here? We only have one word here. We have the one word that encompasses our prologue, our commandment one, and our commandment two. And uh, remember, we've also in the past talked about how Jewish mothers like to teach their kids to start and stop on the same note. You know, in our hymnody, we do the same thing. Did you notice when we sang holy, 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 how the the first verse, the second half says, merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And then the last verse, second half, merciful and mighty. See, what are we we doing there? We're, We're marking the beginning and the end of that hymn by that repetition good Jewish tradition for both prose and for poetry. Verse 6, I am the Lord your God, that's how we start. Verse 9, for I am the Lord your God, that's how we end. So the first group contains four words. Our first commandment is that we have to recognize God as one. Uh, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt So you can have no other gods, and you can't have any images of me. That's probably going to be a sermon in and of itself. 
And then we have, don't misuse my name, keep my Sabbath, and honor your parents. Now, that's a tricky one that we're going to come back to probably in, in a couple of sermons, because we would think honoring your parents is love for neighbor. Why is honoring your parents love for God? I think it's important to answer that question, and we won't do it this morning, but another time. So here's my third point. My third point is the second group contains six words. So just like our catechism says, we have four plus six. That's right. It's just that we're batching them differently. Uh, What we think of as five have become four, and what we think of as five have become six. I keep my math. Remember what Mark Jr., my son, said. There are uh, three kinds of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. (laughs) So what are the second six? No murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying, no coveting, no desiring. Ah, that's a little tricky, huh? See, we're think of, we, we think that there's only, in our tradition, there's only one commandment there at the end, and it's a big, long one. After all these little itty-bitty ones, we got the big, long one on no coveting. But actually, that's two commandments, no coveting and no desiring. So why separate out coveting and desiring? Well, this is probably another sermon also, uh, but... In very brief, the book of Deuteronomy uses two different verbs. It could say, do not covet your neighbor's wife and do not covet your neighbor's house, but it doesn't. It changes up the verb. Why does it use two verbs? Because we have two commandments. Unlike the book of Exodus, where there's only one word. In the book of Deuteronomy, there are two different verbs in Moses' retelling of the Ten Commandments on the plains of Moab. And the two different verbs give us pause, and they indicate that we really have two commandments here. And there's something more significant, and that is in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses changes up the order. In the book of Exodus, we could read it this way, do not covet your neighbor's house. That is, his wife, his animals, his servants. Ah, but that's not what Moses says in Deuteronomy. He says, do not covet your neighbor's wife, period. Now, let me go on to another commandment. Do not desire your neighbor's house, that is, his animals, his servants, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see, there's a difference here. And what, what is that difference? Why does Moses reverse the order? Why isn't the wife listed after the house as part of the house? Well, I'm not going to answer that. Um, that because you might not come back for the sermon on that, but that's going to be a sermon right there. Uh, what's going on in Moses' thinking 
when he's reapplying the Ten Commandments, now not to life as it was going to be in the wilderness for 40 years, but life as it's going to be in the land of Israel, why does he reorder the commandments and what's the theology of that and does it have to say anything to us uh, in our own cultural context? Well, I will admit as I come to a conclusion that this is probably, this might be up there with one of the strangest sermons you've ever heard. (laughs) How to count to ten. But just remember, if, if Calvin thought it was a good idea, a profitable study to look at how to number the commandments, we're on pretty safe ground in thinking it's worth taking our time. And um, Calvin and other confessions have said that this, is, this matter of how you count the commandments is not something upon which we want to start a new denomination. And uh, I realize that my own understanding of this is not the Reformed Anglican Orthodox view, nor is it the Catholic Lutheran view, nor is it the Jewish view, but it really is a hybrid of the Jewish and the Roman Catholic view, which sees our prologue as part of the first word. And it also then wants to separate coveting the wife from desiring the house. But let's get back to our first question. Why did Jesus feel compelled to add the second commandment to the first Why, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment, did he not simply answer the question, love God? Why did he feel compelled to quote from Leviticus of all places? What was he getting at? What was he thinking? Well, I think it's easy to simply say, Jesus added, love neighbor, because the ten words, add, to the first four, another set of six. And Jesus understood that the covenant is the ten words. Because love for God and love for neighbor are simply covenantal. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he couldn't say, love God, period, because that's not covenantal, and Jesus was a covenantal thinker. He had to go on to say, love neighbor as you love yourself. In the Hebrew Bible, when God is summarizing the covenant, God never says, here is the covenant, I am the Lord God. Is that the summary of the covenant? How do we summarize the covenant? from an Old Testament perspective. I am the Lord, your God, and you are my people. You can't have covenant with one. God is a covenantal God. I will be your God, and you will be my people. It is always God and his people together. It's God and humanity together. Love for God and love for neighbor is simply covenantal in our thinking. The covenant is the ten words. Remember Deuteronomy 4.13. He declared to you his covenant, the ten words. 
little, here's just a simple syllogism. The covenant is the ten words. The ten words are love God. Remember the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God. The ten words are love God and love neighbor. Don't murder your neighbor. Not a very loving thing to do. Don't commit adultery with your neighbor. Not a very loving thing to do. Don't steal from your neighbor. Not a very loving thing to do. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. That's not loving. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. That's not loving. Don't desire your neighbor's property. That's not loving. That's covenantal. We can't simply stop with our duty to God. We have to include our duty to neighbor. Love God and love neighbor is the covenant. If, you, if somebody says to you, uh, you know, I've been hearing about covenant. What is covenant? Well, there are a number of ways you can answer that. But I would submit to you that Jesus would make a suggestion this morning. He would say, if you want to summarize covenant, here it is. Love God and love neighbor. That's the heart of it. We cannot ever disconnect our relationship from God and our relationship with other people. You just can't do it. You can't say, I've got a great relationship with God and a lousy relationship with other people. Uh, You can't say, I have a lousy relationship with other people, but i got a great relationship with God. The Apostle John got this. In 1 John 4.10, he says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates his neighbor, is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have not seen, cannot love God, uh, whom they have not seen. So, how do you love God? By loving your neighbor. But when you love your neighbor, you're not just loving your neighbor. You're loving God. Jesus got that. And that's why he couldn't stop when he was asked, what's the one greatest commandment? He knew the answer to that, love God. But he said, I'm God, and that means I'm covenantal. And since I'm covenantal, I know that covenant is about God and it's about others. And so if you really want a full, rich relationship in loving God, you got to do it by loving other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And uh, in spite of all of the differences and the counting, we do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would write this on our hearts, that we would understand at least some of what was going on in Jesus' own heart and mind, and that we would see how intricately connected our relationship with you and others is, and that you would create in us through this word the faith that enables us by your grace to love you more and more, and to love others more and more at the same time. And for this, we will give you the honor and the praise now and forevermore. Praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.